All right, Couch Radio episode number two. This one was with TC Superstar, very fun group. JT, tell us about TC. <laughs> um, this is a local band uh, that from Austin, and we uh, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Connor McCampbell uh, from TC Superstar. He's like the front man, and uh, he had a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, really enjoyed having this interview. Uh, they play around town a lot, and they've been on tour a lot since we did this in May. They've already been on tour from like the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. Came back to Austin, opened for Mac DeMarco when he was here. They have an album that came out called R&D. And uh, then they recently released a reissue, like a, a deluxe version with some bonus content on it. And um, yeah, check them out. That's like an electronic synth-based band. Um, and they're really DIY. We just went to their house to do this in the garage. And we saw like how that like parts of their music video and like photo shoots, like mannequins and kind of some crazy stuff. Yeah, it was cool. It was really nice. I don't know. I'm a fan of garages, a connoisseur, you would say. It was nice to get in theirs. Uh, but finding it was interesting because... So this is like like TC Superstar, like Josh knows a lot more. I mean, I know now, but especially then, knew a lot more about this band uh, than I did. And so he gets the address, and we show up, and it's just some, you know, a house in a residential area. And we're like, is this it? I don't know. So we go up to the door, and we knock on it, and uh, someone answers the door. And it turns out, I didn't know this at the time, it turns out she's in the band, uh, but... I, like, said, um, probably shouldn't have taken the lead, but I did. I was like, hey, <laughs> does, like, Carl live here or something? Said some random C name, and she was like, no. And I was like, you know, from, I think I said Toyota Superstar. I think that's what, and she was just like, huh? And we kind of, like, it was awkward for a while. She's like, you mean Connor from TC Superstar? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so she probably didn't trust us right out of the gate. But that's where I like to be. You know, I like to be an underdog, you know? Yeah. So A little mysterious. Yeah. And then we went into <laughs> and we set everything up in their garage. And we did the interview as Connor got back home from work. And it was it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, it was. Uh, one He's a nice cool guy. Thing, he was super nice, yeah, which was, was cool. nice. Because you, you never know, you know? Sometimes... I meet I meet people and I think like oh they have kind eyes yeah. and then I get closer. Turns out they're turkeys, you know. They're big old turkeys. Yep. <laughs> um, um, you're like, <laughs> and that's that. Get out of here, turkey. <laughs> yeah. Turkey. <laughs> um, Not one Connor thing, though. No, Connor. <laughs> Connor was no turkey. Um, but yeah, we had a, we had a great time and I uh, hope that comes out in the interview. Uh, one, you should check them out on Spotify, Apple Music, um, YouTube. We added their song "One and Only" to our Couch Radio podcast playlist on Spotify, and the Connor the uh, Connor mentions a few songs at the end that kind of inspired him and mean something to him. So we added those to the podcast playlist as well. It's a good listen, definitely worth the listen. You know where's a good place? Where is a good place to listen to our Couch Radio podcast? Monkey Nest, Monkey yeah. Nest Coffee. I was just there last week, and it was delicioso. I 
was there with Shelby. We applied for South by Southwest, which was grueling, really. I mean, yeah, it was. We just wanted to come off cool enough to maybe be considered. Yeah, and there's a lot of things you have to do for. There's like you know feats of strength tests that mm-hmm. they have you do. There's a urine sample. A, yeah. Take your shirt off, stand in front of the camera of your computer test, mm-hmm. which I don't understand why Send that... Send it to a private email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, are we on the right site? <laughs> Anyways, at Monkey Nest, you can access all different types of sites. Right. Because they have Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi is fast and furious and uh, the best place to do some nerd work. Uh, if you're going to get some coffee or some delicious treats, uh, say Couch Radio when you check out and get that 10% off. You're going to want to do that. Another place you can mention Couch Radio for 10% off is Waterloo Records. Super fun place to hang out if you're on a a beautiful Sunday like today, but you just don't want to be outside. It's like too nice for you. You want to go somewhere inside. Waterloo, baby. (laughs) They got it all. You know, they have records, tapes, record players, CDs, compact discs, DVDs. Digital video devices. Nice. VHS. Vehicle video. homicide system. <laughs> they have all of that. Novelty socks. You know? They got it all. Stickers. Sure. Uh, yeah, and if you go and say you want some stickers or socks or records and you mention Couch Radio, that's another 10% off. At this point, you could save 20% on your day. If you go to Monkey Nest and water the records. Yeah, you're basically losing money if you don't use these couch radio, you know, discounts. Discounts. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy this. And thanks to everybody who listened to the first one. It's uh, fun to put them out, and we appreciate hearing if anybody enjoyed it. So here you go. Couch radio, episode dos. Also, it's on. So whenever you want to start it, okay, we're uh, cool. we're in, live, baby. Yeah, Rock and we're, we're in the base. <laughs> we're not in the basement. We're in the garage of yeah of Connor, who we referred to earlier as Cameron, Cameron. when we got to the door. We're like, does uh, Cameron no live here? No, he doesn't. But Josh gave me bad information. I gave him bad info, and I don't know why I even thought that for a second. Because earlier today, <laughs> I was like. Connor and McCampbell. I was like, that's like kind of like Connor and McGregor. It's like I can mm. remember that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. I li- I think I listen to your music more than any other Austin band, and not that. I mean, I listen to other Austin bands, but there's something about your stuff that I don't know. It hooks me. Like I get, I get to that point where I'm just like, oh, I want to listen to it again. It's got that that thing where it keeps me. Wanting to hear it more. That's usually like a, a metric for when I'm writing songs. Uh, if I like write a song and I don't immediately want to just like play it again or listen to it again, I'm like, eh, no one else is going to want to. You know, yeah. like if I'm not excited about it enough to keep working on it in the way, uh, I throw away a lot of songs. Like I think this, our new album comes out in 
like a week or something now, something like that. Uh, there's 11 tracks on the initial album, and we have a deluxe album that have a couple more, but I think I wrote like 60 songs or something for that album, and they just killed killed most of them. Wow. Yeah, anything that didn't feel really, really good, you know, it's like, yeah. Do you like fully realize those songs, or is it like... Some of them. S- yeah. Some of them, some of them end as ideas. Some of them are like, ah, this, you right. hit it. Sometimes you hit a dead end after making like a 10 second loop, right? Like yeah, those, yeah. Yeah. Those don't go any further. Some like you, you have a full arrangement with no lyrics and you're just like, ah, the lyrics aren't coming. It's not, it's not going to be done. Right. Other ones you have lyrics and like the music just isn't, it's not, it's not pushing the emotion through the lyrics the way it should. And so those songs also have to die. All right. And then some you think are great and everybody else is like, dude, these songs are terrible. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you have like a specific group of people that are like, Oh, you guys are the I'm gonna just send it off. See you. The band. Yeah. Uh the band is like yeah, the main the main test group. We got a lot of diverse opinions and oh, yeah. types of people in the band. That's what happens when we have eight people, mm. you know. <laughs> wow. Well, how do you how do you focus group that? How do you test that? Um, well, I live with half of them and then the other half are like around enough. Uh, Aaron has like walked into me like almost every time that I've, uh, started writing a song. He, he, like he has voice memos on his phone of a lot of the, like the first time I was like, Hey dude, check out this riff. And I just play something for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Um, so I get a lot of, I used, I used to be very protective of my songs I think that's an impulse when people are younger especially uh, or at least for me maybe this is not a general thing um, I definitely had an impulse when I was like, like I remember writing poetry in middle school and being like no one no one should ever see this this is secret you know? oh, yeah. and someone someone like found some of my poetry in class one time that I like left out and they were like oh this is really cool who wrote this and I was like I don't know <laughs> I'm like nope I don't know I don't know what that is some tool probably <laughs> yeah um <laughs> And I think, and I was very like protective of things because I knew that people would think they were bad if they're half done. And I was like, ah, mm. if people tell me this is bad and all I have is some chords and you know lyrics or whatever, like they're not gonna like it when it's fully done. But then I, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know what the shift was. Uh, I just got comfortable with being like, you know, I can write this song and I can show people a super rough demo where my voice is cracking all over the place. And like I recorded the guitar in one take at 4 a.m. and like the the drums are not what the drums are gonna sound like. I can show people to them and be like, "What do you think about this idea?" And they're usually like, "Oh yeah, this doesn't sound as good as your other stuff, but like it's kind of a fine idea or whatever." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's gonna be a lot better. Don't worry." Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm much more okay now with being like people will have different reactions along the way. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's and and you can still learn valuable things from that. I think. Yeah, I think it's tough when you're like. To figure out the line of like, like if you believed in a song and you thought it was great, uh, like at what point do you just kind of like, I guess more so believe in like your own opinion versus like, you know, the outside opinion of like four or five other people. Like, cause we've talked about it before with, you know, you write a song and then you like show someone and then they're like, oh, I don't like this. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, they don't like the same music I like anyways. So like, you know, that kind of thing sometimes. Yeah. It's easy to let just anybody's opinion get in your head, but it's just hard to draw the line of like, I really like it. Maybe I should keep it anyways. 
it's hard. It's I think it's important to when you're making things be able to let go of ego and be mm. like, why do I like that? Do I like it just because I made it? Mm. That's not a good reason to keep this around. I make tons of stuff, and a lot of it's bad. Like right. I cooked a bad breakfast for myself this morning, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to stand up for that if, in a court of law. If someone's like, "Hey, this breakfast was terrible," you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was like, it was mine though. It was like, but I made it. It's like, yeah, that's totally not valid. Dude, that's so true, man. Um. So it's yeah. You have to be able to kill your darlings with creative stuff. Like always. Yeah. Be comfortable because, and some of them don't die. Sometimes, like I'll be like, you know what. That whole song, maybe not the right thing. But that one look I did, like, mm, that was pretty sweet. That's yeah. that's why I like this song. Is that mm. worth keeping the whole song? Maybe not. Maybe it'll pop back up later. I also, I really believe in, like, the psychology of music. And I think if, like, I've been, I've been playing music for 20 years or something at this point. Uh, like, if you've been playing music that long, and you can't remember an idea you had that you thought was a really good idea, it's probably not a really good idea. Right. Because if it's, like, if it's impactful enough or catchy enough or, like, has the right emotional core to it, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll remember that. That'll stick with you. It'll haunt you. It gets stuck in your head. You can't get that riff out of your head. You can't get that line out of your head, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So I also kind of, like, I like to, like, the new album's out in a week, and I've got maybe seven or eight songs that I feel pretty solid about for the next album after that already. I like to write way in advance and give yourself lots of time to potentially forget bad songs. Mm. Because if you're writing like 10 songs at once and you realize you just haven't been playing or working on that one song, probably it's okay to just let it go. You know? Stick with the other nine songs you cannot stop thinking about that like like you think about them in the shower and you're like, oh yeah, that just really makes me, that makes me feel something. You know, that one song that you're yeah. like, oh, well that's fun to play, but it doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah, you can probably let that one go. You know? Yeah. That's super interesting because I definitely, I think a lot of people who are creative can relate to starting something and putting in effort and then just holding on too tight even though it's just like, this one's off the rails. Like there's no, there's not really hope for it, but it's like, I put so much time in and, but you have to, like what you're saying, yeah, just cut it loose, man. Work on something else. I was uh, a, cool. yeah, I was a, a business major for a while in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't graduate with a business degree. I had one class left. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I did not want to take finance. Cut it loose. You know? But <laughs> the, the only, the, what I did learn from the business school, my takeaway was uh, in accounting, you learn about sunk costs. And a sunk cost is an investment that you've already made but you can't, you can't recoup it. Right. So like the easy example they give in business school is like, say you run a, uh, you run a a stapling company, right. And it's your job. Like your company is trying to outcompete other companies and staple papers more. People give you their papers and you staple them. Right. And you buy a machine for $10,000 and it staples a page an hour. Like, Great, really advanced technology when you buy it. It's the best thing on the market. For $10,000, a page an hour with no people running it, amazing. The next day, another machine comes out, and it only costs a dollar, and it staples 100 pages a minute. Your business is dumb <laughs> if it says, well, we already spent $10,000. We should really stick with this thing that we have, right? It's like, well, that's a sunk cost. Going forward, is it better to, which route is better to, to use, right? 
Yeah. So sometimes with songs, like you might have spent 10 years workshopping a song. That's a sunk cost. You can't think about everything you put into it. You have to think about, is this song still worth going forward on? Versus maybe you have some other idea that's, you know, like calls out to you more, makes you want to work on it more. Right. More hopeful. That's that's cool, That's also very much just my perspective, though. Like, Aaron is the opposite of that. There's a, a Malcolm Gladwell podcast, I think, where he talks about, like, the Cezans versus... Uh, the Picassos of the world. Uh-huh. I'm very much a Picasso where I'm like, make stuff, make stuff, make stuff and trash mm-hmm. the bad and you'll get some good stuff out of it. And Aaron's a Cezanne where he's like, perfect the one thing, this one thing over and over, perfect mm-hmm. this painting, rework this painting and this idea until we get it right. Um, and I think those are vo- both like super valid approaches to art and making art in general. But right. Uh, I think we've both like learned a lot from each other. <laughs> over the years from being like wow that person operates differently yeah yeah it's probably okay to have the yin and yang That's yeah good yeah, yeah it's nice i think and every project and every album that i do i try and like reimagine my workflow i try and because i don't want to make the same album over and over you know yeah like what could i change on this to make it different from the way i've done things in the past to force myself to like operate a little differently what are some things on this album that you did do that on, that you changed it from the last album, the Heat Death album? So Heat Death was a little collaborative. Um, I think Mitch played some French horn and sang, and Caleb played some sax, and then maybe a couple other people did some like small parts here and there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was still like 99% produced and recorded and whatnot by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, this last album was still still mostly produced like almost entirely produced by myself but I had a lot more collaborators on I had different people do vocals um, had some had Caleb do sax my friend uh, Daniel did clarinet Mitch did a bunch of horns uh, Aaron O'Brien did strings and my friend Sonia did some flute so like had a lot of different people coming in for small parts and then uh, Aaron and I came up with the idea of have, doing like the whole interview thing. So everybody that collaborated on the album, we interviewed them about their romantic past and their relationship history and chopped up all those sound bites. And those, uh, some of them inspired new songs that weren't written yet for the album. And some of them just like added new meaning and changed or complemented what was already in existing songs. Um, so that was like, I'd never tried that before. And I think it made like a very specific album because of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So was that like, did you go into it thinking like, okay, this album's going to be about like, yeah, like relationships, past, past relationships and stuff. And that's why you decided to interview them like that then. And then it just like kind of like emboldened the, the idea. Like, is it kind of like concept album ish? Oh, it's, it's a thousand percent a concept album. Okay. Like everything we do is conceptual to the point where like, we're probably thinking about it way too much. <laughs> um, I, I had, uh, I'd already written a large selection of the songs for the album and I knew from the get go, I wanted to, uh, I had kind of had like a, a change in perspective in my life about a lot of the albums are just like, what are, what's Connor thinking about these days? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had a big change in perspective and how I wanted to, uh, 
like romantically interact with people and how like I thought that that could function in my life like the role of uh romance and romantic relationships mm-hmm. um and so I, that was there from the foundation from the uh genesis of the album and then after talking about it more Aaron and I would just hang out late at night and uh both work on projects together and you know kind of share stuff and talk back and forth and we wanted to uh I think the album was already called R&D at the time for Ricky and Dana, the two characters, and research and development. And then, but we really like started focusing on the research and development side of things. And we were like, oh, we need to do, like, we need to gather data. We need to do interviews with all these people. Like we need oh, to, wow, yeah. we need some, some source data to do our research with so that we can then like personally develop and grow from whatever our learnings are, you know, over the course of making this album. Um, so that was really where that idea came about, but it definitely, the concept was there with the songs beforehand, and that was, we hit that, and it was just like, yeah, Eureka, okay, everything makes sense, uh, now right. just make the album. That's cool, though, because you're kind of like gathering more tools to make the thing as you're making it. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I'd never heard of anybody doing anything like that for, I mean, pretty sick. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was also like, I, uh. A personality type where I just love playing therapist. Yeah. With people, like I'm happy to not, uh, to just like ask people questions about themselves until that they, they like come to some grand conclusion. Like a lot of people have done that for me in the past, and I think it's super helpful. Yeah. As, as like a, just a way to support your your friends and your loved ones. And uh, what was interesting is, I had the same list of questions I asked everybody that I interviewed. But some people I had been close friends with for, you know, four or five years. And I knew their romantic past. Like, I knew everybody that they had seen or dated or had a one-night stand with or, like, maybe thought about, but it didn't work out because of this or that and, like, wanted to do long distance but then realized they were getting codependent, you know, whatever. Like, I knew a lot about them. And then there's some people I interviewed where I was like, yeah, I don't actually, like, we were good friends, but... uh, not to the point where I like I knew their whole romantic history, so it was interesting to like uh, explore that for the first time with some people and with other people. Be like, I know exactly where to probe to like get you to think about this specific thing. <laughs> like, right, I know your line. I know, yeah, <laughs> I was like, come on, this is what I'm trying to get out of you. Like, give me, give me some good sound bites that I can use on this album. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I feel like that, like an album's already like such an intensive process and then you're adding these extra things that are um obviously like very beneficial for the the thing overall but how long did it take you to do all of it like i'm just curious like your workflow origin already probably has its own pace and then that might have added to it it's kind of hard to say because i um i'm constantly writing like i'm always Mm -hmm. writing the next project the next next project 10 10 albums down the road i'm like what's the next thing Oh yeah. But I try and only f- I try and always have one project that's in production um and one project that's in conception. Uh, cuz I think it helps you I did a lot of uh creative writing when I was at UT and a mm. lot of the theory in workshops is like you you kind of word vomit out. You try and get your ideas out in their purest form quickly. Um 
and then later on you set that aside and be like, we're not creating anymore. Now we're going to go into editing mode. We go back and we look at this critically mm. and say, how are people going to read this? You know, what are people going to get out of this? How can this be better done to accomplish its goals? You know? So I try and have one project that's in writing mode and one that's in editing mode. Um, some of the, I mean, some of the songs on that album, I probably wrote a long, like a, maybe a year or two ago even. Okay. But I think the album properly went into recording and production uh, last fall, maybe. Okay. And that process, because we have the studio here, it's just, I can, I can just retract stuff over and over again. Some of the songs, like a, there's a song on the album, uh, Think About You. Uh, or I've Been Thinking About You. I've Been Thinking About You. Uh, the titles are hard to remember because I I have a terrible naming system and they change names like 10 times before they get finalized oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. you have like working titles that'll be like way different than yeah people will be like tax exemption Roland what song is that and I'm like "Uh, that's called one and only (laughs) yeah yeah exactly Uh, Exactly. and they're like and how is that related I'm like because there was a forum on my desktop and it was the first thing I wrote I think one of the songs was called please save for like months and months and yeah, months yeah, until yeah. I was like <laughs> yeah this one's good or something like yeah, that yeah 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 <laughs> um uh what was I saying before that oh we were just talking about the timeline about it oh uh, yeah that's right um so yeah I think a lot of the the production of me just sitting and recording the parts over and over oh yeah that song thinking about you started as like a as like a strummy guitar song with like a real bass on it and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. I was not feeling it <laughs> And I was like, I gotta start this. Like the lyrics, I like, and I like the story, but I gotta, I gotta give up the original way I wrote it. I gotta re. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Some of the songs start almost as like folk songs, and then I'm like, okay, how do we make this dancey? Uh, do you write on the acoustic? Almost never. Yeah. Uh, I just wonder because you said it started off kind of folky a little bit. It a was. lot of your stuff's very synth, very synth. It yeah, the final product ends up being very synthy. Yeah. Um, I write on guitar, I write on piano. I was, piano is the only instrument I've had, uh, I guess I was, had some training in trombone, but piano is the only real, like, real instrument that I had proper training in, and it's probably what I'm most, most comfortable Mm -hmm. with. Um, but I've been playing guitar for a long time, and I like writing guitar. Sometimes if, if I'm trying to write a song on one or the other and it's not working, I'll switch instruments because it forces me to arrange differently. Yeah, you know, you, that's good. It's, piano, it's like really great for playing chords and melody and bass, and guitar is not that. Uh, right. Like for me, at least, there's some players that are really talented in that, in that way, but it's like guitar. I usually like to pick the most minimal thing. Like mm-hmm. if I can get away with playing two notes at a time and only playing thirds or something, I'd much rather do that than play full chords on guitar. I don't really like full chords on guitar that much. Mm, okay. But, um, Do you, since you're like piano bass, and I wish I could play the piano. Like I, I don't yeah. know. Why. You can. It just yeah, takes right, time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, my favorite proverb. I work at a guitar center, so I, I uh, talk to people about first time instruments all day long. <laughs> oh yeah. But one of my favorite proverbs <laughs> is um, the best time to play in a tree is 20 years ago. 
the second best time to plant a tree is today. Uh, so you might as well just start, you know? I like it's, that. Nothing is going to get better in your future that's going to make your life, like, better for learning to play piano. Yeah, he's got a piano know? in his room, too. Yeah, you're all set up. I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we, like, record, like, a lot of it's just used, like, okay, where's C again? Like, I forget, and it's just like, okay, we'll use this for, like, accent or whatever. Because, like, but, like, the thing about it is, like, that I was going to ask was, when you're writing, are you writing a lot of the vocal melodies like with your right hand initially, or is that just are you writing those just vocally as you like chord out? Or because sometimes I wonder about that with songs. I'm like, okay, the lead is the same as the vocal melody, and I'm just like, which one of these came first? It's got probably the lead, right? I don't know. It's both. So there's like a, the 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 two popular methods of songwriting are uh, uh, track and hook, like with top lining, and then melody and lyrics. Uh, melody and lyrics is like old, uh, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, like musicals, and mm-hmm. you know, like you write the lyrics out first, and you sing it in a certain way, and then chords and instrumentation, everything else follows. Right. Uh, and the other extreme is like top forties pop, right? Like Swedish producer makes a beat, and then they send it to someone, and they sing a vocal line, and then they send it to a pop diva that like sings the right words over that vocal line and takes credit for the song and makes lots of money right like, yeah <laughs> those are like the two extremes and i like i like writing in both styles um like toyota corolla was like a melody and lyric song it was like i wrote that just like on a maybe a two minute walk home from my piano teacher's house yeah it feels uh, like a it feels like that type of song yeah it just all came together at, like at one moment and i sat down at the piano and they just like it all came out uh, other songs, something musical inspires you, you know, and you might find a melody in there and you have to f- find the right words for it. That for me, I think right. is a lot harder. It's a lot harder okay. to, to place lyrics to something that exists because it has to be perfect. If it doesn't feel right, like if you, if you say a consonant or a vowel that just doesn't, doesn't hold the right emotion for that moment, even uh-huh. if the words, what you're trying to say, it's like, it's not the right, you know. Yeah, yeah. You haven't written the song yet. You're still working on it. Right. I remember I was reading that uh, How Music Works by David Byrne. Oh, yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, you read it. Okay. He was uh, he was just like, he said he'd scat. just And he'd really pay attention to where like he would naturally fill in consonants yeah. and things like that. Because, yeah, just writing lyrics and just trying to throw them at a song it doesn't work a lot. It does barely it ever probably. Absolutely does not. You know, it, yeah, sound, yeah. it sounds cheesy and bad because it's contrived. It's not felt. Uh, I, my, like my, I'm trying to be as emotional of a songwriter as I can, like, cause, and I think I got that from my background in creative writing. Like when you're writing a story, it's really hard to just put words on a page and have someone read them and then be like, Whoa, I like, I feel changed. I feel different. That emotionally affected me that like, that really was impactful. Like you have to put a million pounds of pressure with your pen on the back of a page for someone to feel like the tickle of a feather on the front of the page when they're reading it, you know? Right. So it's, so I really try and like think a lot about like, how do I get the emotional weight into the songs? If I don't feel anything when I'm making it, like no one else is going to like, no one's going to feel anything when they hear it, you know, or see it live or whatever it is. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Thinking about it like that. Like I never really thought about that. Like, like that, that you got to put, and two, probably as the process goes on, you know, you might be really emotional about a subject and you might be in the moment then. And then, you know, shit, like two weeks later, you're not thinking about that same thing, but you still have to have some sort of emotional 
resonance that's still left over. So yeah, I never really thought about it just and, being as heavy handed as possible initially. Yeah, and if you did it well, hopefully, like when you go back to it, you're like, oh, I forgot I like this so much. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. this feels really good. These notes, like this tone, whatever it is, like I remember why I did this. Or you're like, okay, this is a bit much. <laughs> you're like, this <laughs> this song is like, come on, like this is this is ridiculous. You thought this was gonna be like impactful. This is terrible. Uh, and <laughs> right. and it's good to give yourself some time. Like I would never recommend that anybody like writes a song, records it, and puts it online the same day. Mm, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just give at least give yourself a week or two to take some space and forget about it and come back because like especially with you like you might be in a bad mood and write something angsty and you'll listen back and you're just like all right that's just an immature song like that doesn't right. need to nobody else needs to hear that that yeah. can uh, go in this file over here that looks like a trash can <laughs> yeah like mom you probably heard that thing i put online that's not how i really feel <laughs> I was in a mood yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Um, uh, we talked about the R and D side of it and the the concepts and overthinking things. What is uh some of the? I don't know if you even want to talk about it or if you just want to leave it to people. But is there some symbolism with the music videos you've been releasing? There is. Um, I see the, the mannequin over there. Is that the mannequin? No, that's a, that's just a different mannequin okay. we have. We sold those mannequins to KVRX, I think. <laughs> I think they have our mannequins now. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to be have those out of the house. <laughs> that was uh, You walk in the garage and turn the light on and see just 10 faces. And oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was scary. It was not. Uh, everybody in the house was like, dude, we got to get rid of these. <laughs> it's like goosebumps. Uh, they also just take up space. It's like having eight people at your house all the time standing still. Like They take up a lot of space. They're not like... <laughs> They don't pack away very well. They start naming them all. Yeah, like Kevin just standing by the fridge like a freak all day. <laughs> Dude, I, yeah, I don't know. I think our neighbors thought we were pretty weird or something. Cause oh yeah, yeah. There was a while where I had like all the making just loosely packed in the back of my car, and like you'd look over and just see like a hand pressed on a window, like <laughs> help, help me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's there's a lot of the the symbols and like like the truck and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and the hotel keys and anything that you see in the music video probably relates to the song on the album somewhere, if not the song of that music video. Um, and there's definitely like some greater romantic symbolism, like the pillows and the beds in the NTU video is, is supposed to be very like cozy and comfortable and intimate and supposed to feel like kind of vulnerable. You know, it's not like a big stage with strobe lights kind right. of vibe. It's, it's much more like soft. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is the the pink room. We shot that at uh, uh, Helios. They're very nice. Uh, they gave us a room and let us paint the walls pink and put tile floor in and put all our own furniture there for like a month. Um, so it was very very sweet of them. This is what are the Helios you said? Mm-hmm. Is that just a? It's a co-op on. Uh, ooh, I don't remember the street by MLK and Quad kind of in that area. Oh, okay. Right on. But yeah. yeah. Go ahead, paint it, whatever. Uh, but yeah, there's, and that was supposed to feel more uh, like clinically uncomfortably domestic. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I get uh, that. Plus like the stillness uh, uh, of the one person when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. dancing. Uh, sweet moves, by the way. Uh, thanks. How much did you prepare choreography-wise for that before video? that video? Uh, the whole thing's choreographed. I had to have every beat down 
Because you have to do match cuts, right? You have to do match acts on everything. So you have to... There were some shots I couldn't use because I did a turn and landed in like two slightly different positions. Mm. And the the match action just... It wasn't convincing enough for me. Uh, I used to do a lot of video editing. So if I ever... like, I get real picky about that. Like <laughs> If it doesn't... If I would be like, oh, they were one frame short there, then it's like, <laughs> no, nah, we can't nope. use that. That's absolutely not. So do you do the... So you do you make all the music videos yourself, or I play a part in making the videos. They're a largely collaborative effort. Um, okay. Hannah Barker DP'd the last two that we did. Uh, Shannon Wiedemeyer has helped out with PD and set design and uh, AD and whatever else she needs to. We've had a lot of people that have uh, helped out crew wise. Um, I kind of I produced the one and only video. And LB produced uh, the NTU video. Aaron directed that one. I directed one and only. Uh, so yeah, we we all, Aaron's done a lot of film stuff. Like I don't know, we've been working together on film and creative projects for a long time. So it's that's uh, cool, man. Yeah, he edited. I think he edited. Yeah, he did NTU and I edited one and only. Where but did we, you and Aaron meet? We met at. Uh, uh, Labyrinth. It's a like progressive student worship service on Guadan. Um, I was playing bass there at the time, and uh, I've told this story so many times before. I saw him, and he doesn't believe it. Still, I saw him in the, like the third row, and I looked at him, and I looked at the way he's watching us play, and I'm like, that person plays music. <laughs> and afterwards, I went and talked to him, and I was like, so, yeah, what do you do? This and that. And he was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, a piano player. Mm-hmm. I he was. He was studying music business at UT, but they still make you, at that point, it was, um, the program's a bit of a conservatory. They still made you take, like, classical piano classes for performance, even though he just wanted to do music business. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Um, But he's an amazing player. And I was like, have you ever played a synth? And he was like, ah, this and that. I like Mellotron. I like this. I like that. And I was like, come, come check this out. You're going to like this. And I showed him my King Korg that I had, like, my band used. I played bass at their service in exchange for using that chapel as a practice bass because I lived in a dorm on campus oh, for my band uh, at the time. Um, so I had my synth and everything, like the drum set and everything, which was set up behind, like, where the band for the service would play. Oh, cool. Um, so he started, like, running through some, like, classical looks on his keyboard. And he's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I was like, ah, he's very good. You should uh, come hang out with my band sometime. We can play music together. And then we've just been friends ever since. Oh, sweet. He's kind of like Lawrence from School of Rock, classically trained. And then you just molded uh-huh. him. Let's rock, your... let's rock, let's rock, let's rock today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am not cool <laughs> enough. Yeah. You are cool enough. Uh, Aaron, yeah, Aaron and I were interesting because we both had like similar trajectories in music before college. Like We both... Uh, we're trained in piano. We we both are uh, incredibly intuitive around each other. Uh, like whenever we're playing music together, like most of the time we can guess where the other one's going chord change wise and like where the melody needs to go and that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Um, we write in person live like very well. We did a horror film one time and we live tracked the soundtrack. We just did six overdubs and we just hit play over and over again. And there's like, yep, there it is. Oh, sweet. Um, so I think we like we have a similar background and we think very similarly about a lot of musical stuff. Uh, we both had like 
sometimes late at night, we just show each other like old music that we have, and we're like, dude, this is terrible. You gotta listen to this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I thought this song was so good. Uh, he was. We were both very into the Beatles for a while. He had like a heavy U two phase and a uh, yeah, a heavy Bruce Springsteen phase. Mm. Um, I did not have those phases <laughs> in the way that he did. He was like, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've been playing together a long time. What were some of your phases? My phases, I. So I listened to Radio Disney until about five or six years old. That was phase number one. And then, um, I don't remember what happened. I got very disenfranchised with Radio Disney. Uh, like, pretty early on. Overnight. Yeah, that probably happens. To, you know. I think, I think um, my friend and I were supposed to do karaoke at a school event to uh, Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men. And quality, quality we song. were, like, two f- spots in line too far back to get to do it. And I was just like... I never want to hear this song again. I never want to. I was, I, we were both like crying because we couldn't do karaoke to this song. And we wanted to. I don't know, man. We were like five years old. You would have brought the house down though with Who Let the Dogs Out. It's the Baja Man, so, you know. Probably, yeah. yeah. Two five-year-olds screaming Who Let the Dogs Out. What's cuter than that? That's true. No, that's a um, good point. But I was like, no, I'm done with, I'm done with this. Um, my parents have diverse music tastes. My dad um, listens to a lot of uh, Latin music, um, he likes Brazilian music a lot and samba and bossa nova and that kind of stuff. Uh, he likes jazz and R&B a lot. And then my mom is like blues, classic rock, uh, folk, singer-songwriter kind of stuff. Uh, okay. They're both like kind of like Texas, like two-stepping kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up with very like different <laughs> musical influences on yeah. either side from them. Um And I just thought, I really, like, was not into contemporary music for a long time. Like, uh, early 2000s, honestly, all 2000s pop, I was just not, I was not about it. Still, like, if there's, like, a 2000s dance night, everybody's like, it'll be so nostalgic and fun. And I'm like, I don't know any of these songs. (laughs) I was listening to classic rock for a long time. Uh, Oh, wow, that's interesting. I I mostly listened to classic rock through elementary school. Had had like shoulder length hair and a leather jacket and was very into that. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, that's right. <laughs> and then middle school through high school, I got more into indie stuff that I found that I thought was like doing more interesting things. Uh, okay. And then I, in high school, at a certain point, I started reappreciating pop music and being like, okay, I can get into this or that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, probably in college, I got into more '80s stuff and I got into more old old school dance music like chic and um like earlier david bowie stuff like that kind of that kind of like real choppy guitar style dance music mm-hmm. um i always i always liked that stuff but i started making like more of an effort to listen to that because that's what people told me i was making okay <laughs> yeah they're like this is what this sounds like and i was like i should probably do my research so i know yeah. yeah, like if I'm ripping someone off, I should probably know about. It. Yeah, do you get that kind of stuff a lot when you're like playing live? Like somebody says, like, "Oh, you're like this," and you're like, "I don't feel that I'm like that at all." But okay, like the, the two big ones are Depeche Mode and New Order. I like both of those bands. I've Not listened bad. to them more now. Yeah, I don't know if I'd ever listened to a full album of either one of those bands before starting TC. Mm. 
Um, it was honestly not a big influence of mine. Right. I just like drum machines and I like polyrhythms and I like yeah. I really like synths and I've always liked programming synths and that kind of stuff. It's really fun. Yeah. And I like chorus guitar, and then all that yeah. together, it's like yo, you're. 80s yeah and like right. the low vocal That's like nice. the lyric driven <laughs> uh-huh, stuff uh-huh, yeah i get yeah. that i get it but I, I definitely see the difference it makes sense that you weren't like totally like just a big pop head because it's not mm-hmm. strictly pop like what you're doing it's hooky it's synthy but it's it's not just like pop yeah i want i want to like i try and make stuff that is accessible enough that most people could enjoy it like I don't, I don't want to make super self-indulgent music. I'm not trying to do like a 30-minute guitar solo that I think someone needs to listen to. They don't. They totally don't. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> um, I'm not. I don't know. It it seems like I try and get my ego out of it as much as possible yeah, yeah. and write stuff that is accessible, but also like on the first listen, hopefully you don't hate it. It's like pleasing enough to the ear that you're like, okay, that's fine. But if you listen 10 or 12 times, like, hopefully there's enough deeper meaning there that you can get something else out of it. You know, I try and write songs that, like, would change for you the more you listen to them. And try and embed some, like, Easter eggs and deeper things in there for mm. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even, like, now when I listen to stuff that I made two years ago, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, I did that one chord change different that time for this reason because I thought it, like, worked with this word better or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um. So... I'm not just saying this. I get that. Like when I'm listening yeah. to your music, I like it. And the more I listen to it, Thanks. there's something there to that. So always, it's really cool. It always feels good to be like, all right. Yeah. Like I was like, do I say this? It seems kind of like not genuine because I'm on a podcast. Mic. <laughs> but like, I just want you to know that, you know, it's cool as a musician to sit down with like this goal in mind and then to hear like actual accounts of people reacting like that. Honestly, that's that's what makes it all worth it. Cause you don't get into this for the money. You, <laughs> I lose so much money <laughs> on music. Like that's if you're trying to start a, a, a business, it's like the worst idea. Yeah, the worst business. Uh, yeah, it's a so much model. fun. But yeah, like the thing that really keeps me going is when people are like, "Hey, I was having a really like I was really depressed for a couple months, and I started listening to your songs, and like it really kind of pulled me out of a thing." And I'm like, "That's amazing." Cause I remember all the yeah. times in my life that a band or a song or an album has done that for me where I latched onto something and it was like, it gives you a reason to like work through whatever you're going through. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I can do that for other people, like that, that really warms my heart. That, yeah. I don't know, fills me up so much. Oh yeah, man, I bet. That's, that's awesome. Roll up to a stoplight, you see someone just like crying and like belting out, Toyota, Corolla. Nothing that cinematic yet, but you know. Nothing like that yet. I'll keep an eye out. That's awesome, man. Well, on that note, we can, uh, yeah. When does, uh, so you, you leave for tour too soon, too soon. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you got a lot of t-shirts oh, here to print out. You can see you we, we got so much work to do. <laughs> uh, we're, we're narrowing down our van repairs. I've got like, I've got two repairs left. And oh, there you go. If nothing else breaks, it's safe. <laughs> You're set. We'll see if something breaks. Um, but yeah, we leave in like a week and a half on the 23rd. I think we head to Houston for our first date. And then we're on tour till July 11th. That's awesome. awesome. And I saw that you're opening for Mac DeMarco. Yeah, that was surreal. He was uh, we, he was why I started using chorus pedals. I saw him oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like my freshman year at Mohawk, and Julio and I were talking to his lead guitarist at the time. And we were like, hey, like, how do you get that tone? And he's like, dude, it's just a chorus pedal. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. <laughs> Went home and bought chorus pedal. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, guitar sounds better. Cool. Yeah. That's rad. <laughs> I bet he's the reason a lot of people started using chorus pedals. Oh, yeah, dude. There yeah. was a period, like my sophomore year, every band in West Campus was a slacker band. Oh, so, like, yeah. everybody had the matching hat and flannel and, like, t-shirts and like mac demarco knockoff chords and uh <laughs> wasn't a bad thing like i enjoyed all those bands like those shows yeah. were a lot of fun but yeah. it was just so funny to see a scene go from like a bunch of like college punk bands and then like a month or two later like everybody's slacker rock right it'd be weird to be mac demarco and just know that like i'm the reason that everybody's rolled up their jeans me <laughs> it's a little, yeah yeah that must be a little intense <laughs> i to, did like, this <laughs> know that you're trendsetting that way he's a super nice guy though i've met him like after shows a couple times and um he's always super friendly he seems so nice anytime i listen to an interview with him it's just like oh this guy's just this is just this is what i wanted i didn't realize it but yeah he's so nice i think yeah. you fall under that too man i'm Thanks. glad that you're a friendly guy I'm, yeah. I'm in here and I'm enjoying uh, the, uh, the digs here, and I'm also I really like talking to you, man. Yeah, what's this? What's this garage look like? The yeah, let's paint the picture. Like a yeah. pack rat serial killer. We list. still have one token <laughs> mannequin. One mannequin. There's a bowling pin that we can't get rid of. A wooden <laughs> racket collection for when we want to go play drunk tennis. Oh yeah. What no, is this? this is uh, it's like a mop this contraption up, there, up here. Case. That's a remnant of like a. Why do we have that? Why do we put that on the ceiling? <laughs> uh, that's for a painting. That's a it's a roller handle. Um, it looks like how like Dwight Schrute would like hide weapons just somewhere. <laughs> you know, got oh like no no the... okay this is for a stop. We so there's a stop motion music video we shot for the new album that will come out. There's a deluxe album that will come out later this summer probably. Whenever we get our act together, like I thought I was gonna have stuff ready before tour, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> And so I think we had like tied that to the ceiling so we could clamp lights and stuff onto it, because uh, oh, we had okay. the stop motion set was like right where we're sitting. We oh, filmed. cool! That's what that's what I did for my birthday this year. I just sat and like took pictures. Moved something <laughs> ninety millionth of an inch and uh-huh. took another picture. Yeah, we were supposed to finish the day before my birthday, and uh, stop motion never works that way. <laughs> Oh, Everybody gosh. came over and they're like, "Let's celebrate!" I'm like, "Yeah, that's cool," but also like, I have to finish this. I do not <laughs> want to do this tomorrow or any other day. Yeah, I've done this like 20 hours a day for three days now, and like, I'm yeah, wow. running I... on fumes. Like, this has to stop. <laughs> Thank you for the birthday wishes, but you totally don't have to stay. This is miserable. <laughs> right? I was like, you don't have to be here, dude. I can't even imagine. I I talked to a dude who worked for. Um, he like. He was like a claymation guy, and he did like actually he was on the he did that uh, like that Radiohead uh, claymation video. Oh yeah, yeah. Like Burn the Witch or whatever it was called. And then uh, he worked for some studio and asked him like, "What's like a good day? Like how much footage do you get in like one day of work?" And I think he said seriously like six seconds, but like if that's like like great or something like that. And I was like, "What six seconds? Like, because I think with something like that, I guess there's just mm-hmm. so many things like." There's wind blowing, so you got to move this leaf a little bit, and then this thing, and then like move it. Just... And if you mess up, oh gosh, it's, yeah. it's almost impossible to match. Like, like just think about taking this room, like the way it is right now, and taking a photo of it, taking all the clutter and the rug and the drum set and the shirts and everything, and just throwing them in the yard and mixing them around, and then trying to put them back in literally exactly the same spot. You will not be able to do it. I think You think it's possible, and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, sure. But you're like, usually I have a pretty low tolerance for if this chair is like a fraction of an inch this way or that way. But now, like, it looks bad. We have to redo it. 
Oh, so gosh. yeah, the For second room, that you. Oh man. Yeah, this one in particular, I don't. I literally don't think anybody could do it. I don't know. Like if you took everything out of here and they put it Go in the yard on. and brought it back, I don't know. It seems impossible to me, but you know. No desire to try. Go on. That TV is cool. That was from one of the film sets. We ended up with a bunch of random stuff because uh, <laughs> it's hard to get rid of things. That's cool though, man. Like I feel like if you stumbled into this garage, you'd be like, "Somebody cool lives here, man." Like there's just like a bunch of instruments, a drum kit, like half assembled, but then there's also like you know, just some other funky stuff around here. A lot of rackets. Like, that whole pile of stuff is just beneath the keyboard stand. That's all stuff I'm just trying to sell on Craigslist or whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to clean out the studio. I have a bunch of like old mics, and I was like, I just gotta, I gotta get rid of some stuff. It's too much stuff. Yeah. But then I keep like I bought this amp last week. Uh, it's really hard for me to. I work at Guitar Center, so it's constantly tempting to just keep yeah. buying gear because you're like, oh, but this is gonna define the whole next record. Like I have to have this. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, that's bad. That. And you're probably talking to a lot of people who like, especially in Austin. I bet do a bunch of people that you work with are in bands and stuff too. Or? All my coworkers play in some kind of band or another, which is really interesting because. Uh, I don't think any two of us have a similar sounding project like at all. Oh, really? It's very like you got like metal, hardcore, punk, chill mm-hmm. wave, us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like very, very different music, like singer songwriter stuff, like EDM, like very different styles. That's cool though. So yeah. it's funny, like sometimes if it's super slow, we'll all jam. Oh really? And I'll like I'll be playing like dancey guitar licks, and my friend that's an amazing metal drummer will go over and like be playing like d- like double bass stuff under it, and it's like yeah, <laughs> nobody would put these together. <laughs> but it's like and it's kind of fun and different. You guys yeah. are gonna stumble across gold one day though. I don't like, know about that, Not nah. a, dude. Nobody <laughs> stumbles across gold in Guitar Center. Never. Uh, <laughs> no, everything. It's, you have a million people playing different songs. Nobody is like, wait, I understand now. This is like a great song. Yeah. Do you have the dude? I, I'm. Curious. Yeah, we have the dude. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was gonna say, yeah. There's a guy who's like, oh no, Jeremy's here again. Like, Our customer good. demographic is not the best. Uh, <laughs> but. Hey. You it's, it's a job. Yeah, I, man. I like it. Just fine. Dude, I have to give myself like a self-talk though before I go in there. You have to face that every day with just like seeing all these cool things that sound so tempting all the time. That is a sweet twin reverb though. I've never seen it with the red knobs. Yeah, so that's a late, 80, late 80s, early 90s model. They get trashed on a lot because they have the red knobs and they don't like look as cool. Um, but they're, they were designed for studio use and they have a like that high low power switch. You can attenuate them. So you don't have to run it at like 100 watts or whatever, which is great because these are way too loud to use like normally. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and it's got push-pull pots, so you can like you have a lot more control with the EQ. You can cut or boost like certain bands. Oh really? You can run the channel separately or together. You can run line outs through it. Like the you can put reverb on one or both channels. It's a studio beast. They're like designed for studio, but I think because they have so many features, they're not like an ideal like set it on one and play a show and it's going to sound good kind right of amp. right on uh, huh but yeah. that's interesting man i haven't used that on any recordings yet i'm excited to play with it after tour that's there right go. well good luck with tour man and yeah, uh i hope we make it back dude if you need mm-hmm. any help on these shirts you know how to contact me we can yeah, help for sure yeah oh yeah we like to usually end it with like if there's a because we have a playlist that we make um mm-hmm. of the artist music, but also like maybe if there's a couple songs that have like influenced you particularly recently or that you've just been like hitting a lot lately. 
So if you have a couple songs, should I just just list them off? Uh, yeah, we're like, gonna most add people to the aren't this ready. Okay, how many songs? Uh, three. I don't know. <laughs> three songs. Uh, number one is probably got to be David Byrne. This must be the place. That song is. Uh, that was like a, a big influence for some stuff on the last album. It's like very tight, very minimal, repetitious. It's not showy. Like try to try to do some Beautiful. of that. Um. Mm-hmm. Another one. Um. Honestly, anything off Arthur Russell's uh, uh, "World of Echo," that it's the album where he's doing all like a lot of uh, delay and cello stuff. Um, okay, that's that's like a big influence. I can listen to that album all day. He's so good. His his vocal melodies are amazing because he doesn't just do. I'm real bad about doing melodies that go up and down and up and down kind of thing. Mm. And he's got these jumps and skips that are unexpected and so beautiful. And he just he has amazing control both on cello and vocally. Um, mm. So anything, yeah, anything off that album is is really solid. Um, or like, or maybe that's us wild combination also is like one of my favorite Arthur Russell songs. That's a big influence. And okay. then uh, probably "Good Times" by Chic. There you go. What a banger. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> always. Cuz it's we get the party started. The chords aren't crazy, the whole, <laughs> the baseline's awesome, but the song is not super complex. It's all about the rhythms. It's just there's there's a good amount of space in that song and every note just feels like you want to move your foot or your arm or like dance some step to it. It's a great feeling song. What so, an yeah, eclectic mix. Yeah. Great job, man. Yeah. Beautiful. Can't wait to add those to the playlist. Plus awesome. I don't know the Arthur song. But this must be the place. It's just a perfect yeah. song. That's so good, man. Arthur, yeah, <laughs> if, if you haven't listened to a lot song. of Arthur Russell, he's like really worth diving deep into. He's got because he has stuff that's folksy from his earlier stuff. He has stuff that's like got a dance or a disco beat on it. He sure. has stuff that's completely ambient. Like it's really amazing. I don't know. Right on. That's why we asked. Now we got stuff to listen to. Great. Well, thanks again for doing this, man. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Chatting with me. Picking my uh, my brain. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.